Hello, I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church, and today I want to share uh, a message from one of the great uh, stories of the Bible entitled The March of Faith, and uh, it concerns four very unlikely heroes of faith, and uh, it's all set in 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7. It's the time of Elijah, Elisha, the great prophet of God, and uh, Syria is Israel's enemy, and, but they are continually frustrated because Elisha knows their plans by the Spirit in advance, and so Israel's already uh, always ready for the attack. And so the Syrian king thinks he's got a spy in the camp, and he's told about Elisha. Uh, and so he sends an army especially to take Elisha. And we read in chapter 6, verse 14, Therefore he sent horses, chariots, and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha and you know the first thing about faith is that faith sees into the invisible that God is with us that God's army is with us and this army of the Lord is going to play a major role in the story that's coming up and uh, so we see that in the spirit there is this great angelic army, the army of the Lord, protecting Elijah and protecting Israel if they walk with the Lord. Well, in this case, Elisha asked God to blind the Syrian army and then he could just lead them straight into the hands of, of Israel. And uh, they disarmed them, gave them supper and sent them home. So you see, faith sees that the army of the Lord is with us, and that removes our fear. Do not fear, for I am with you, says the Lord. And so God is with us. He's ready to fight for us as we trust in him. And we will see this army in action in, as we continue the story. And we will discover the key that releases this army to fight. Well, the setting is that because of Israel's sin, uh, they, f they came under siege from Syria and they fell into a great famine. And so despite Elisha, of course, if Israel sins, then as God warned them in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, they would come under a curse because of their sin. And so there was a famine, verse uh, 24. It happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. There was a great famine in Samaria. Indeed, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. That's a lot of money. And one-fourth of a dollop of dove's droppings for five shekels of silver. That's how bad the famine got. You even had to pay good money for a, for a dollop of droppings. And, the, and of course, this was because of sin. And when we go away from God, we go into a spiritual famine. And uh, the word, where the word of God means very little to us and we'll suffer, but it won't be God's fault. Now, let's talk about the king here. The king was Jehoram. He was the son of Ahab, the evil king. And he wasn't as bad as his father Ahab, but he wasn't a good king. We're told that he has d d did evil in the sight of the Lord. 
But even this king, we're going to see some positive features to him. Uh, he was indeed shocked by the depravity that this famine caused. So sorry, as I'm going to read on, it's going to be quite gross. Verse 26, then as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, help my Lord, O king. And he said, if the Lord doesn't help you, where can I find help for you? But notice there is a sign here that in the, in the crisis, he was looking to the Lord. He was, he, we're going to find out that he was actually praying for God to deliver. Um, and so he says, from the threshing floor or from the wine press? In, look at our supplies. I've got nothing to, to give you. And then the king said to her, what's troubling you? And she answered, this woman said to me, give me your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. But actually that isn't what upset her. <laughs> it's what happened next that upset her. And, and she then says, and I said to her the next day, give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. So she's upset that, it, that this woman didn't follow through and she didn't kill the son. So that just shows you how bad things were. This was too much, even for this bad king. Verse 30, it, now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman that he tore his clothes and as he passed by on the wall, the people looked and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. So here we see that um, he was wearing sackcloth, which was very uncomfortable. It was used as a sign before God of humility, of repentance, sorrow for sin. This is, a, this is the king actually acknowledging that, that he had sinned, that the nation had sinned, and that's why this uh, sea, famine was upon them, and that he was expressing that repentance and that plea to God. To, uh, because he, Elisha, the prophet, would have said, look, we're, you're in this mess because of your sin, Repent of that sin and God will deliver you. So that's what he, the king had been trying to do. And, um, and so he was a bit turning to God. But this incident caused the king to become angry. Uh, and we see this, it's a bit superficial in his repentance because he is even angry with God and especially angry with Elisha, God's prophet. And so he says... God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. So he's angry with Elijah because Elisha had promised God would deliver if they repented. And here's the king trying to repent and telling the nation to repent. And, uh, and still there, there's no deliverance. And, uh, and so he's angry. You know, people get angry with God when don't things work out the way they think they ought to. And, and that's a sign of a, of a superficial faith. And now we, we see what happens with, uh, with Elisha. Uh, the king is in this fit of rage and he actually sends somebody, an assassin, to kill Elisha, as we are going to see. Verse 32, but Elisha was sitting in his house. The elders were sitting with him and the king sent a man ahead of him to actually kill him. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, do you see how this son of a murderer... He's talking about Ahab, who was a murderer, has sent someone to take away my head. And this is a supernatural word of knowledge. And then, then he had another one. Look, when this is a word of wisdom now. Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door, is not the sound of his master's feet behind him. So Elisha also supernaturally knew that the king 
you know, suddenly changed his mind. He realized how foolish it would be to kill the prophet. And so he is now running behind the assassin to try and stop him. So Elisha realized if we just don't let the guy in, that will buy time and the king will, will call off the assassination. And it says, and while he was still talking with him, the messenger came down to him and then the king, the king arrived and said, surely. And, and so he, the assassination is called off. But now the king complains. Surely, well, the king says, rather, surely this calamity is from the Lord. So in other words, he's admitting it's because of their sin. It's a judgment. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? So now he is, this shows a modicum of faith that he he has been looking to God for deliverance. He is admitting uh, that there, you know, that it's because of their sin. But there's a, a bit of a frustration that God is a bit slow to respond. He's saying, "How I've been repenting. How much longer must we wait for God's deliverance?" And then, as we go into chapter seven, there's a stunning prophecy of deliverance. So. Even though the king's um, repentance is hardly complete, yet it's amazing to me that God will take any repentance that we give him and he'll start to, to work in our lives. He, he is merciful. And so based on this repentance, Elisha makes this prophecy. He says, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time a measure of fine flour will be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. In other words, there's going to be a plentiful supply of everything within 24 hours. And so this is God's response to, to this, this mediocre re repentance. And he's promising freedom, deliverance, provision, restoration uh, was now was theirs. Uh, God is saying, I will break the power of the enemy and um, the time of your captivity is over, the time of your famine is over uh, and God gave them the word and we're going to see how God works through this situation. God works first by giving the word, his word, his promise of deliverance. That's like the gospel. God says, I have broken the power of the enemy. I have forgiven your sin. I have done it all for you on the cross. Um, and now you can go free from your sin. You can go free from your fear because I have redeemed you. And that's the word of the Lord. But for it to come to pass, you have to believe it and then you have to act on it. And so the word was given to give them hope and, and so that they would um, be able to arise and, and take the right actions. And, and so God says to us, I've died for you. I've risen again for you. I've set you free. You can now walk out of your prison into a new life of blessing. And, um, but sadly, there was an unbeliever present and he just couldn't accept it. So it says, so an officer on whose hand the king leaned. In other words, this is his right hand man. He answered the man of God and said, look, if the Lord were to make windows in heaven, how could this thing be? In other words, this is a crazy prophecy. He rejects God's word. And Elisha says, in fact, you will see it with your eyes, but you will not eat of it. We'll see at the end of the chapter how that works out. But actually, this man gets killed before he can eat any of the provisions. And so he'll see others being blessed, but he won't get it themselves. So because he didn't believe the word of God, it didn't come to pass in his life. And so that's what happens when we reject the word of God. Well, we might think that's all there is to the story. 
God's given his promise and, and God will, will do it. But the whole of chapter 7 is the continuation of the story because there's a God's side and there's a man's side. Now God has given his promise and God, we'll see, God brings that promise to pass, but he needs a response from man. And, and there were only, there were four men who responded and God used the faith of those four men who acted on the word to bring the miracle to pass. That's what we're going to see. So our response to God is important. And it starts by us believing the word and letting the word changing our thinking and then letting it changing our actions. Let's see what happens next. You know, when Elijah gave his word, you know, he was the man. He was the man of God. His prophecy would have been spread around the city instantaneously almost by word of mouth. Everyone would have heard the word and um, he was, uh, many would have scoffed. Others were, would have been felt hopeless, but others, their hopes would have been raised by the promise, but they, they were probably too afraid to do anything about it. Uh, God promised them, I've given you, the, I'm giving you the victory. I'm with you. I'm, I'm going to set you free. But they didn't take any action. But the story focuses on an un unlikely group who heard it and did take action, and God used them to bring about the deliverance. This story is essential to the outcome. That's why it's recorded. It's not just an interesting story. This was the key to their deliverance. And it shows that God works through our faith. God needed to find people who will believe his word and act on his word to bring it to pass. Uh, on, you know, on the first reading of chapter 7, it's just the story about how, how four lepers discovered that um, the enemy had fled. Uh, and, uh, but actually, there's a lot more to the story because they actually were vital to the deliverance. Well, let's have a look at these four lepers at the gate. It says, there were four leprous men at the entrance of the, of the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here till we die? Because lepers weren't really allowed in the city. They were outside and they depended on people's kindness to throw them some food. So they were very fast, passive. But they hear the word of God and something stirs in their heart. There is a... To, to rise out of their passivity, to do something. Why do we sit here till we die? They, they begin to have the courage to take some action. That's what the Word of God does for you. And um, they, they actually become the key to the victory. That's why the spotlight is on them. And when we hear the Word of God, the, our greatest danger is passivity, which is not acting on the Word. We need to be diligent to act on the Word. And... Um, they started talking to each other and themselves. They decided that doing option was, was not, doing nothing is not an option. Um, and they are actually made a march of faith. They did what they could do in response to the word. And as they marched their march of faith, God's angelic army marched with them. And it caused the enemy to flee in terror. Uh, we're going to see that. And so God speaks his word to you, but the Bible says faith without works is dead. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. It was when they put action to their faith that God's power was released. And so that's if we're lazy, passive Christians, we can't be blessed. We must believe the word is true and then act as if it was true. 
if you don't if if the word does not move you into action how can it it, it move your circumstances well we've seen god's army surrounding believers now we're going to see god's army releasing them into into action we're going to see that it's when they acted on the word that God's power and his army was released into action. And so it all began with the faith stirring in their heart when they said, why do we sit here till we die? See, something's happening in their hearts, stirring them out of passivity. Uh, why do we just stay doing nothing? Why do we stay sitting in our doubts till we die? Why do we sit in our depression till we die, in our fear and worry, in our, under our circumstances, under enemy domination, defeated by the setbacks of life? That's where freedom begins by asking that question. We are to be an actor, not a reactor. Are we paralyzed by the past, fearful of the future, quitting on life, accepting defeat as normal, letting life happen to us, or are we going to get up? Are we going to rise up and get off the substitutes bench and get back into the game? It seemed like the, the lepers had no choice. They had no power. But when the God's word came to them, they began to, to, to encourage themselves. You know, but they had to overcome. Uh, they knew they needed to take action, but they had to overcome negative thoughts. And they did that by, by talking, and they say, by discussing it to themselves. Self-talk, you might say. They said, if we say we'll enter the city, the famine's in the city and we'll die there. If we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come, let us fall on the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we'll live. And if they kill us, we'll only die. That's the kind of thing we need to say to ourselves. It's like when, when God tells us to do something, but it seems so risky, like we're going to fail. We've got to say, well, what have we got to lose? If we just do nothing, we're going to fail anyway. Let's rise out of apathy. Let's, if we're going to fail, at least let us fail in action. Let's not be a wimp. Uh, let's take the risk. Let's act on the word and let's just trust God. We don't know what's going to happen. There's the, the unknown. We don't know how it's going to work out when I obey God. But God is with me and he'll, do, he'll work it out. And so we have to, as it were, override our negative thoughts and say, what have we got to, to lose? Why sit here till I die? If I just do nothing, nothing's going to be accomplished. My life will not be what it ought to be. And so we need to arise. And it says here in verse 5 that they arose. They rose up at twilight. Remember that timing, at twilight, to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. Notice they arose at twilight just when it was turning grey and dark. It's really not the best time, naturally. They could have convinced themselves, wait till the morning light. Human reasoning will always say, oh, well, don't act on the word right now. Wait for a more convenient time. Procrastination. But their heart was stirred. And when your heart is stirred, take action. Don't, don't delay. And, and rise up in the name of the Lord and say, I'm going to make my march of faith. I'm going to walk out of this prison right now in the name of Jesus. And then they, as they went, we're going to see they had great victory. And then they started their march of faith. It wasn't easy. They probably had to help each other to their feet. They were in pain. They were lepers. They were hungry. But actually, this was God's army on the march. 
didn't look great, but actually they were marching in faith. They were alone. They were struggling, limping along. And this was Israel's army marching on the Syrians. But they were mighty through God, as we're going to see. Verse uh, 6 tells, tells us why the enemy fled. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of the chariots and the noise of the horses, the noise of a great army. Guess whose army that was? That was God's angelic army. So the reason why the Syrians fled is because they heard the noise of a, of a huge army coming down upon them. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left their tank their camp intact their tents horses donkeys and they fled for all their for their lives notice when did the lepers start their march of faith toward the Syrians in the twilight when did the Syrians flee upon hearing God's army marching towards them in the twilight exactly the same moment so exactly when the lepers marched God and his angelic army marched with them this is no coincidence. When the, when the lepers acted on the word of God, then God's power was released. God marched with them and victory was assured. If they wouldn't have acted, then God's army couldn't have acted, you see. So when you arise and march your march of faith, walking on the word of God, you're not marching alone. God and his army is marching with you and the enemy is going to flee before you. Praise God. And what seemed impossible to you will suddenly become possible. Only when they acted in faith did heaven march with them. They, that's why they're central to the story. It was their faith that released the army of God and gave the great victory. Praise God. Most of Israel were in passivity. They were waiting for God to do it. But these heroes of faith, they acted on the word and God used them to gain the victory. Praise God. And so we have to, for God's word to be fulfilled, we have to march our march of faith we have to do what God tells us to do we must rise out of our passivity and and actually march the march of faith and so they are our inspiration and they were the first to enjoy the blessings because it says when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp they went into one tent ate and drank and carried from it silver golden clothing and went and hid it and then they went back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it and so, you know, fair enough. They, they were the ones that took the, the risk. They, they, they acted on God's word. So God gave them the first fruits of the victory. But then they realized um, it was, they needed to tell others about it. And so they said to one another, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news. So this is like the gospel, you see. They, they, they responded to the gospel. They responded to God's word. And they walked out of the kingdom of darkness, as it were, into the kingdom of God and all the blessings. And now they realize it's, we mustn't keep this to ourselves. We must share the good news to others. And we must share the good news of Christ and his salvation and every blessing with others. And so they realize this is a day of good news. We remain silent. That's wrong. If we wait till the morning, some punishment will come on us. So therefore now come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they went and they basically told, told the gatekeepers, and then the king was told. And, um, and so once you come into victory in, in your life, tell others. Don't keep it to yourself, and God will bless you double time.
And uh, the king's response is disappointing. We find out that the king actually doesn't, doesn't believe. They think it's a trap, that the enemies are setting a trap. But the king should have believed Elisha's word. And this, this miracle, should have, he should have rejoiced and realized this is God's doing. But you see the sh his shallowness. But in, one of his servants has the sense to actually give the king a good idea. We'll just send a few men and let's test out to see if, if this is a trap and they find that it's not a trap. And so everyone's rejoicing and it says the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel according to the word of the Lord. And so all the believers then could then enter in to their blessings. And then we read about the, um, the officer who was the unbeliever. He was put in charge of the gate. And so the crowds rushing out of the gate trampled him underfoot and he died, just as Elijah, Elisha prophesied. And so the prophecy was brought to pass. And so this is one march of faith. But there are many marches of faith in the Bible of men who received God's word and marched the march of faith. And they didn't necessarily know where they were going. They had to risk it, but they knew that God was with them. And so Abraham marched from Ur to the promised land, not knowing where he was going. What about Israel's exodus from slavery to the promised land or Joshua's march of faith into the promised land? Again, in the natural, it would have been risky, but they knew that God was with them and would fight for them. What about David marching out to meet Goliath? What about Jehoshaphat and his choir marching out in obedience to face the great enemy army? Um, what about Jesus uh, walking on the water and Peter walking on the water? And um, wherever believers marched their march of faith, walking on God's word, then God and his army went with them. Are you ready to march your march of faith? Thank God for Jesus who marched his march of faith in obedience all the way to the cross and God was with him and he rose from the dead victorious. Will you, are you ready to march your march of faith? You know, rise up out of passivity and step forward and do what God tells you to do. And God will be with you and God's army will go with you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Your, the enemy will flee before you. We must make our march of faith. Why sit here in our passivity doing nothing until we die and our life comes to nothing? Don't be a wimp. Rise up. Have courage and march your march of faith to victory. We all need healing at some point in our life and we need to know how to receive healing from God. And so I've written this book, Getting Healed, to really help you understand how you can receive healing from God and how to help others also receive healing from God. And it's available in book form and it's also available as a CD series and it will really build your faith to encourage you to, to, to receive God's healing power into your body. Thank you for watching. Join with us at Oxford Bible Church every Sunday at 11 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time for our live stream service or join us at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX37QH. You can watch more of our teachings on our Roku channel and Derek Walker's YouTube channel. All Derek Walker's books are available in printed and Kindle versions in all Amazons worldwide or online with other great products. 
where you can also support our programmes at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.